Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting, maybe even thrilling episode of the Board Game Triangle. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm one of your hosts. I'm here with my co-host, Tim. Say hey. What's up, guys? What's up? And Ken. Hi, guys. Uh, I think uh, thrilling might be uh, might be a bit much to say for us, but uh, we'll try. We'll try. No, no. We, we, have, we have expectations now. <laughs> we, we have to be thrilling? No. Okay, so this is uh, our... our topic today is we're going to be doing it's a, a totally unique topic no one's ever done it before so it will no be one. super exciting for everyone this is why i say it's going to be thrilling uh and we're going to look through <laughs> board game geeks top 100 games starting at 100 working our way up giving any opinions that we have about it talking about any times we've played those games uh, making our way through the list so that, that's what we've got coming up but unlike most people you've heard review the board game geek top 100 many of these we're just gonna be like yeah i don't know it Oh, well, yeah, we... yeah, I, yeah, I want to, mm-hmm. I mean, luckily, at least uh, between Ken and I, we probably heard uh, at least heard about most of them, but to kind of preface it a little bit, there might be some repetitive nature to this episode to so just be forewarned. Uh, we will try to restrict uh, games that we don't really know a lot about. We will try to not linger on them too long, but we do want to basically give you a, a small sampling of in terms of enthusiasts, kind of where we sit with a lot of the very popular games, because, you know, our scope of that sort of thing might be very different compared to things like reviewers, or even you who might be just getting started with board games. You might be, you know, wow, I haven't even touched any of the top 100, and maybe you just feel like you're doing it wrong. And so uh, this is going to be a great way to give you a sampling of where we're at and just show that, you know, to a large extent, a lot of uh, a lot of people just haven't, you know, touched those games yet, including ourselves. Yeah. So before we dive into the top 100, though, like let's go in and take some time to warm up, talk a little bit about what's been going on in our world, um, board game wise or otherwise. I don't know if you're feeling open to share everything. <laughs> As you might have seen, you know, we've been a little bit a bit delayed. You know, life's been a little crazy, but hopefully, we're getting back on track as of this episode. Unless so you remember. are watching all these after the fact and late, in which case we release them all entirely on time with no delay between them. Oh my God, Ken, we made that joke last time. Yeah, we heard, we heard, they've heard this same song and dance. All right. All right. But uh, Ken, what's been going yeah. on in your world? Yeah. So, um, yeah, last weekend I uh, went to a uh, mountain Airbnb trip with some, uh, some friends. For this, uh, this trip, I packed uh, about eight eight or nine different games because uh, I didn't really know the group that well. It was, you know, I was trying to curate a, a good set of games to take with me. And uh, over the course of the weekend, uh, I did end up teaching three new games that I brought and helping teach uh, uh, code names, uh, which somebody else had brought. Uh, the first night we got there, uh, you know, people were show up at various times and it's getting late. I ended up pulling out a skull, which uh, we've talked a lot about before. Again, in teaching the skull this time, I just to start playing the game. And I, as we go, I, I let people know all the different rules as we go. And since there's only a handful of rules that uh, allows people who are not really into games and not really wanting to even necessarily listen to game rules, uh, to be able to pick up the game very quickly. So and as I mentioned, it's a game I've talked to people who are already drunk at, at, at a brewery or bar. That's heartening because I'm definitely bringing that to Thanksgiving. And I'm sure that my family is going to be like, why, why are you making us do this? But then they'll get into it. They'll get excited. Oh, exactly. And that's what happened with this time when I, when I taught it, I, you know, brought out, taught, you know, six people had, you know, some people switch out who, you know, were watching and saw it being played, wanted to play. Uh, on Saturday uh, of, of our trip, we uh, ended up going out to a brewery that was near, uh, near the Airbnb and 
I, I did not bring the game with me because, you know, I didn't quite want to be that guy who brings games along to everything. And so when we got there and uh, uh, five of the girls who were along with the group were like, oh, uh, did you bring Skull with? I was like, no. Like, we said you could, we could play Skull with just coasters and marks, right? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, you know, someone going to go in and get a huge deck of coasters from the bar and, and do that. And uh, having very little sense of uh, embarrassment, big, huge stack put little dots on them and we sat there and we played uh, we played school at the bar for uh, the next three hours uh, at, at brewery for the next three hours and uh, had, a, had a great time uh, it was funny because one of the one of the girls I was playing uh, she's a, a social worker and first game uh, I, I was kind of in the running to be to be winning it but she uh, she figured out my tells well enough that she won the first game and then you know she started winning every game after that as well and by the end of it she was just explained to everyone oh yes uh, when Ken slides out his card um, uh, kind of subtly, that's when he's playing a skull. And when he slaps it down hard, that's when he's playing a flower. And she did, went around that for every single player there, having gone from just trying to learn the game the night before to being able to read every single person's tell and being able to know exactly what everyone's playing every round. Um, that was uh, a lot of fun. But yeah, over the course of the weekend then, I also taught, also started on that, that Friday, we started playing a, a game I, I enjoy called Fun and Floyd. With Fun and Floyd, you're basically interviewing for random different kinds of job roles with a set of, you know, really bogus criteria for your resume. And so just a, a you know, kind of a, a you know, a, a funny game where people are doing different things. And uh, one of the the other people there uh, liked the game so much that I uh, uh, did end up buying a copy for her that I haven't, haven't yet gifted to her, but I will, uh, will probably next week or two here. And uh, uh, she was looking to see if she could buy it. It's out of print. So I went and bought a copy on eBay to, to get. Uh, and the, the third one I ended up teaching uh, from my collection was um, uh, Railroad Inc., which, uh, uh, again, very great uh, game for people who are not normally gamers and, uh, uh, you know, went and went several rounds and people want to switch in and play and, and try to do uh, do a Railroad Inc. mapping. So Sweet. Yeah. So that's that's an exciting sounding trip. Wondering why Tim and I weren't invited, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot. Anyways, Tim, what's going on in your world? Uh, not too much. Got uh, Thanksgiving plans today, but other than that, not too much. We had our board game night uh, last weekend, of course. We played Spirit Island, and we did it with... Again. <laughs> you know, it's it's a hit, and it handles a lot of players. It does. It does. And, and we had a couple people who had not played it before, so yeah. I wanted to introduce it to them. And it's yet another reminder of how hard it is to teach that game, even to people who understand board games pretty well. So yeah. just another healthy reminder. Know what you're getting into when you're trying to teach that game. Yeah, threw Morgan into the mix this time. So my husband was there yeah. playing, and he did pretty well. Yeah, uh, and I think he enjoyed it. So I'm pretty excited about how that went. But yeah, other than that, my life has been pretty quiet. Finally, work is done, done with traveling until probably February, so... Other than that, we did a, the viewers probably don't know, but I actually do dance lessons with my wife and we actually did a showcase last night showing off our tango Aww. and that, that was very exciting. So yeah. And that went really well. So I'm very excited about that. Of course it went really well. Again, Tim, the question of why, why were we not invited to, to watch the showcase of, of, of you guys doing a tango? So I think we're going to wait until Alicia is like, all right, now we can show people you know, what, you know, what we've been up to, but it's getting pretty good. And I'm very excited. Our next thing that we're working on is a swing dance for Christmas. So very excited about that. Pick that a little swing Christmas song. It's going to be cute. All right. So goal, um, we're, we're, since we had to cancel my Halloween party because I had COVID 
and then you mm-hmm. know a bunch of other stuff happened um we're th- thinking about throwing a new year's party so you guys will have to <laughs> we'll have to have a dancing oh, showcase at the new year's party Ooh, might be able to show it off since everybody's already usually swanky and dressed up for that i think so but yeah that's my life right now how about you sarah i'm not, I'm not gonna force alicia to dance in front of people if she doesn't want to <laughs> but uh, i think we're good enough that we could do it you're definitely gonna be better than anybody else there i can tell you that <laughs> probably <laughs> uh my world has been oh my gosh just rocked just rocked by board games this last couple weeks um morgan's gone overboard man he's yeah he's ready he's ready to or he has crossed the threshold oh, of yeah. board game enthusiast yeah so i i don't know i'm trying to pinpoint exactly when it was i think it's when he picked out too many bones for me because mm-hmm. he he listened to the podcast and heard i like rpgs i like dice games and that's an rpd dice game and we played it the first we played it the first time together he was all in like we now have or are in the process of getting every part of that game and now it's it's just it's everything but then we've branched out from there so we went to game theory theory which i shouted out last time so again shout out game theory durally in raleigh um we went there and talk to the people that that work there um, and were oh, so helpful, so nice and got set up with, uh, actually I'll preface this. We went to game theory that day because I was looking for a game that I could take home to my family for Thanksgiving that we could all play. And then while we were there, I was too much in my head about it. And I was like, no, cause if I buy this board game and I take it home and no one wants to play it with me, I'll get upset and then I won't have fun for the rest of the holiday. <laughs> Oh, so I, I ended up not like I ended up abandoning that. But then we talked to I think his name is Sam and he talked to us about Return to Dark Tower, which is from Restoration Games. And basically it's this 1980s game that they've completely revamped. Talk about board presence. So it's like a circular board. You've got four kingdoms separated by a river. And in the middle of this is this giant like. I want to say it's it's over a foot tall, it might be like a foot and a half tall, black tower that has doors that open, it twirl like it spins around. Every time you end your turn, you drop a skull into the top of the tower, and then as it turns, like skulls pop out and it does stuff in the game. It's got app integration. It's like relatively lower complexity, so we were able to teach it to ourselves and won our first game, which was pretty cool. Um, but now it's already packed in my suitcase to go home to Thanksgiving. I'm like, I don't even care if my family wants to play it. I just want Morgan and I to be able to play it for the next week. I I think a fun caveat or not caveat. Um, I think a fun side thing to mention about that is a lot of people, if you are our age, which is, you know, range of thirties, your parents probably played the original dark tower game. And this is a remake of that game called return to dark tower. And so they might actually get a huge kick out of seeing, you know, the the tower itself because it's a huge homage to the original one, which was also this giant, you know, plastic tower. So that could be a fun one to potentially bring. Like that's one of those that maybe it's a little too complex for getting newbies into a game. But if there is this aspect to it that they're used to from their childhood, they might be a little bit more willing to give it a shot. I, um, or they might remember little remnants of it that make it a little easier to jump into because the, the overall idea of the game is the same. Yeah, honestly, I'm pretty sure like the the game itself looks 
so cool. And like you have the app up the whole time. We had, Morgan has gotten so into this. So we bought a tablet just so we could have the app up while we were doing this on a bigger thing than a phone screen. So we have an app, up, like the tablet on the table. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> that's got like sound effects. So the tower itself does sound effects, but then also you've got like music. Like when you go into a battle, the, the app changes the music into a battle music. Like it's it looks and sounds so cool. that That's a small detail that's pretty cool, yeah. actually. I'm pretty sure that the, we're going to play it one night by ourselves just to like, I don't know, because it's really fun and we want to play it again. And the next night mm-hmm. people are going to be like, can we play that with you? Like, can you teach us how to play that? Cause it's so cool. Um, I think, I think it's also important to mention people are like, wait, there's an app for the board game. And I, it might be fair to point out that fairly modern board games, it's not unusual these days that an app accompanies them in some capacity. So just be aware of that. Really be good for you know apps like Sarah was mentioning that give you music to help with mood apps that help with uh, give explanations for different phases and things like that. So, even games that don't require an app often really benefit from it. And at games that are built around an app can have a, a really cool experience where, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, at that point, we start having the question of whether it technically is a board game anymore at that point. Is it, you know, at mm-hmm. what point does it become a computer mm-hmm. game with physical components? But whatever you want to call it, that is a lot of fun. Does it matter at the end of the day? Right. Of course, it matters because we, we need to classify things. And, okay, and- yeah, we're purist and gatekeeping. <laughs> that's right. Yes, exactly. It does matter. You're right. Yeah. So aside from that, um, and actually <laughs> part of the reason we ended up going to Game Theory that, look, we need, just needed sponsorship from Game Theory the number of times I've mentioned them today. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons we're going there is because Morgan bought a 3D printer to oh, print yeah. extra pieces for the Too Many Bones game that we were already obsessed with. Uh, mostly organizers and stuff to hold the dice to save spaces mm-hmm, in the mm-hmm. box so we can take it places more efficiently. Um, but we we printed this thing and I wanted to paint it. And we knew that they had like figure painting mm-hmm. stuff there. So that was one of the reasons. So that's the other oh, thing. Oh man, you guys are really, it's really cool because now you're going a com- down a completely separate avenue from Ken and I yeah. in terms of the things that you have and it's really good because now you're covering another avenue of board gaming, which is something I know, frankly, I will never go down. I will never spend time painting mints. I just won't do it. It's just not really my thing, but there are a lot of people who do that. Or I have my brother who, so we actually are planning a whole episode around this content where we talk about 3d printing because blinging out your game is another huge avenue of board gaming that has really taken off. And especially thanks to 3d printers. So we we do have some content planned around that. So if you're ever interested in that, we will go into that in more detail. But just know that that is another common thing that is happening these days is people going all out on their favorite board games. Yeah, and I definitely I have a friend that was wanting to uh, print, uh, paint all of the uh, the miniatures, even for Twilight Imperium, going to have you know painted the, the ships in different. Uh, uh designs and do stuff like that oh they look amazing i just will never do it yeah. it's so time intensive yeah. exactly it's we, very very time intensive so we have yet to actually paint anything the thing that i was thinking about painting we actually ended up printing in like a different like multicolored filament so it's got some Ooh. visual interest mm-hmm. without having yeah, to be painted yeah that's usually the easiest avenue to go down but but um, i'm talking we bought filament so again talking about too many bones that I talked about a lot last week, so I won't belabor this, but all of the different characters, they're called gear locks. They all have their separate color, their separate like sheet, dice, everything, but they're all a different color. 
<laughs> and we've bought filament so that all of the boxes that we're printing to hold the stuff for them is the color of the mm -hmm. character. Um, so we've gone all in on that. I mean, little details like that are awesome, I think. So yeah. that's cool. You it's, can do that. It's been my dream for, I really want to get a, a resin printer and be able to print custom miniatures for a lot of my games and have, you know, like I replace a lot of like the cardboard figures or, 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 or little, uh, little, you know, lightweight plastic things with, you know, some really cool looking uh, uh, 3D printed resin uh, miniatures for them. That, you mm -hmm. know, for me, for years has been, uh, I think as big as my board game collection is, I don't necessarily want to get a lot more games. I'd be able to go through those games and just be able to update all the components. Uh, like Sarah's saying, being able to print uh, storage Man, both of you boxes guys. for everything. Like I, you guys are just gearing up like future episodes so well because we have another episode plan that is going to talk about. Uh, Games that just have terrible inserts yep. that just have no excuse in in the modern age to have poorly organized games. We shouldn't get to the point where you have to buy 3D printed things to properly store your games. If you're like a purist like me, where I'm just like, I want one box for a game. I don't want to pull out three boxes to play one game. Oh, you do that not want too many bones then. Too many bones oh, have I, 80 oh, boxes. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that's, you know, even like you know, with uh, you know, with Twilight Imperium, be able to you know merge in the, uh, the expansions with uh, uh, you know other games. I have uh, definitely uh, Dead of Winter is what I'm thinking of. That you know, at this point, I have too many expansions that really fit nicely in the box. I have the boxes kind of you know here so that uh, you know it kind of it looks like one box, but you know it's, it's nearly not. Yeah, no, having having like I was saying, one box with everything perfectly stored and has the game and all its expansions. Store it in a way, so like you just be able to pull it out and play the game. I mean, that's 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 the dream. That's you know, anybody who's making games out there, that's what we want. We want single boxes to hold everything. Stop making shitty <laughs> shitty boxes. Just stop it. All right. Games have been around so long. I don't care if I have to spend another five dollars. Make your damn game box fit the stupid components nicely. And it's okay if you're making a small lightweight game to have it be in a small box. Like don't don't be putting making these big huge boxes for like a deck of cards. Stop that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I actually thought that about Skull because it came in a box that was like slightly too big to just sneak into my purse. And I was like, right. I could just take like four sets of these coasters and put them in a Ziploc bag and carry them with me. Yeah, I don't need exactly. all this stuff. Yep. All right, all right, all right. We'll, 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 we'll touch upon that later, but yes. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so big board game time. Uh, it's super exciting to have a shared hobby with your partner. Um you know, when I come home from work and he's like, all right, I got the uh, the Dark Tower set up. Are we going to play? Like, it's just super fun. Highly recommend. But let's jump into this top 100. <laughs> um, I imagine these first, probably the top 50 are going to be few and far between. But we'll just run through the list. Mm -hmm. So starting at mm -hmm. number 100, this is again. And I'll, Oh, one second. Okay. And I, I just wanted to add that I don't think we have a definitive stopping point. So we're just basically going till, you know, we basically hit an hour-ish long episode. So no. we have no definitive We're going to get through all 100. Time management is important. <laughs> I, I just didn't want them. I didn't want to edge them, okay, and make them think we're getting to number one today. Oh okay? <laughs> Tim's over here getting kinky on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh man. They're already at 80. Oh, fuck stop, that. stop, stop. Tim, we have... <laughs> A model for our podcast. You need to stop trying to break our format. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So, all right. Got us, Sarah. So, again, no, no longer family friently. No. Go ahead, Sarah. I was going to say, my aunt and cousins listen to this, and uncle, <laughs> like, can we not? 
Sorry, aunt and uncle, there will be F-bombs, and this will not be the last. Oh, no, okay. This aunt and uncle are cool as shit, I gotta say. Like, all right, all right, So all right. they'd be cool with it. Maybe not the... Yeah, anyways. <laughs> number 100, and yeah, I might never... butcher some of these names, but this one's called Kalis. Yes, that's exactly how it's said. Perfect. Mm. Yeah, this is not, not 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 a game I've played or have any exposure to. I don't know, Tim. Is you? this is this a fairly new one? Two thousand five. No, it's old. Two thousand five. Never mind. It, imagine looking at the actual website and looking at the the year that is right next to the name. You know, it is it is right there. <laughs> okay, so no nobody's played that one. Next one, number ninety nine, Raiders of the. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I wanted to. So let's at least give the the synop- or the one word you know, rundown of what it is. Entrepreneurs pay workers and bribe an official to build a chateau and gain royal favor. Ooh, it sounds so yep. fancy. Looks like some kind of a and worker X, placement. X is the price. It has, it, has, it, has, it, has that, it has that variable setup that you love so much, Tim. So All right, all right. Yep. But yeah. But I, literally neither of us have heard or done anything with this. Cool. Yep. Well, so all I know is it's expensive and it's a 7.5 on BGG. Not too bad. Nice. Number 99, Raiders of the North Sea. Gather your Viking crew in order to plunder the seas and plunder seas and lands for glory from 2015. Yeah, this this one I do enjoy quite a bit. Um, it's you know, I would say it's a super heavy game. Um, I think board game be great to the 2.5 out of 5 for complexity. Um, it is a game that very much is a worker placement that lets you uh, make some some good decisions about where you're going to go, what you're going to do, and uh, you know I, I definitely enjoy this one quite a bit. One thing, uh, so we're kind of doing this off the cuff, so we don't really have a super firm structure here. One thing I wanted to outline for those of you who are not familiar with Board Game Geek, it is like the quintessential website for all of like board games. A lot of discussion happens here. If you look up a game, nine times out of ten, the first link that shows up is a Board Game Geek what, uh, link. So this is a great place to kind of explore board games. They have an easy to view top X list where literally it just does the highest average score and you just sorts them from, you know, top, top down. So that's the list that we were going over right now. And so to give you kind of an idea of the numbers we're talking about, uh, Kalis that none of us knew about had 29,000 ratings. So 29,000 people have gone to this website and rated it very highly. Uh, Raiders of uh, the, the North Sea, 23,000 ratings. So uh, definitely uh, games that have lots of visibility and fans, uh, even if they may be games that we don't know about. Actually, this this exactly. is a, brings me to a point. Ken, I know you have a specific website that you have a list of board games that you keep ratings on. Is that Board Game Geek? It is, yes. Okay, so, so I, I, yeah, yeah, it's easy. It's easy to make account, and then you can basically add what games that you own to that to like a list of your own, and then you can also rate the games. So this way, you can kind of see how it compares. Ken so has, like Ra- Raider, Raiders, Raiders of the North Sea is an eight out of ten for me on Board Game Geek. Here, I, I have I've rated it as an eight out of ten. The overall rating is seven point five, so I like it a little bit better than the average. Good to know. Good to know. So what's the difference between now now my noviceness is showing mm-hmm. here? There there's a geek rating and an average rating. Do we know what the difference of, of between the two are? If I had to guess, it would probably be, and this is again a total guess, but kind of like Rotten Tomatoes critics versus audience score. Ah, uh, that's yeah. probably the case. Yeah. That's what I would guess. Um I I would probably say well, so we can maybe give both. So this way people they're they're usually very, very close yeah. though. They're not 
uh, not too far off, I would say. It looks like on average, the user rating is slightly higher than the critic rating. Okay. That seems to be. Yeah, that, that seems to be right. All right. One last thing to outline is the complexity rating that Ken mentioned. So he said uh, the current game is a 2.5. That's out of a rating of five. And I would say anything like three or higher is actually usually considered a somewhat complex game. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like uh, Return to Dark Tower, actually like in the twos, probably high twos. Mm. Something like that, a Twilight yeah. Imperium is in the mid to high fours. Uh, so that's kind of how that works. And actually, I think Spirit Island is either a high three or a low four. Like, it was pretty complex. I would be surprised if it's not at least a four. Yeah, I looked it up but... this weekend when we were at the store. Ah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, uh, Spirit, Spirit, Spirit Island is a 4.06, 4, 4. so yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that gives you a good a good sense. So you're probably like, what the hell is like a 4.5 or a 4.6? It's probably insane. So Yeah. All right, number 98 from 2018, this is called Decrypto. Decipher your opponent's code before they decipher yours. Don't get caught. Yep, this is what I've been told is a really great game, and I really need to play it. So, uh, but I have not yet played it, and definitely have it. Uh, Wait, have it our, on my watch playlist. Different. My 98 says Keyflower. My yeah, 97 here as well. My 97 is Keyflower. How did I? Interesting. What did you? Maybe. Yeah. What happened? Hold on. Let me scroll to the top and see what I'm looking at. Um, Maybe you have it sorted by average rating. Yes, because... No, I the... have it sorted by board game rank. Weird. Yeah, We're same, going by my here. list, so screw you guys. Okay, okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. You're, you're, leading, you're leading the charge. I'm fine with <laughs> this. Yeah, I, I said Decrypto is one I've definitely been told I, I need to play, and that if I if I love uh, Codenames as much as I do, that Decrypto is one I, you know, that fixes all the problems that Codenames has. I wasn't aware Codenames had problems, but... Uh, um, still, uh, still interested to play the crypto at some point. Yeah, I've heard it's basically the better version of code names. Good to know. Um, it is a seven point five score rating out of ten, and the audience score, if that's what we're calling it, is a seven point seven, so higher than yeah. the uh, critic score. Fairly cheap game, twenty five bucks. It's pretty easy to pick up. Uh, you can find it pretty much at any store, any board game store that I've seen. So nice. Yeah. So that brings us to 97 for my list um, <laughs> from 2012. It's called key flower compete in a unique auction system to build the most prosperous village as a 7.5. Yeah. I've only played this one online, but it is a lot of fun. There is definitely a lot of crunchy decisions around where you put your workers and it's a fairly long game from what I remember, but I definitely have a lot of good things to say about it. It is definitely one of the more uh, raged about games. And I would say for a 2012 game, it's held up pretty well. I would say that you could easily buy it today and it would feel fresh. Um, I've had a great time. The the one time I played it, I think the issue for me was it wasn't different enough from other worker placement games that I would also justify spending what we're just got. They give you an Amazon price on here, so you can maybe find it cheaper because Amazon does have the tendency to inflate their prices a little bit, especially if the game is a little bit harder to get. But it's eighty five bucks on here. I probably would pick other games that are cheaper before I would buy it. But it's definitely enjoyable, and I would say it mostly lives up to the hype. Looks like you can get it on eBay for like twenty seven dollars. So uh, no you way. Might, you might, you might, okay, you well there you go. A, yeah, there you go. At that point, you might want to might want to consider it. Yeah. Have you played this one, Ken? I have not, no. Uh, I'd be I think it's definitely worth trying. It's on Board Game Atlas, or sorry, not Board Game Atlas, uh, Board Game Arena. Okay. So definitely give it a shot. Uh, it's it's 
fairly fairly complex. What's the actual complexity rating of it? Uh, they give it a three point three four. Yep. Look, we're gonna get so oh. much feedback on this episode. You guys are clicking too much. <laughs> yes, you will probably hear that. It's hard to mute our mics and also get that. So we're not we're not professionals. Okay, we're like semi professional. At least we're not making weird mouth noises. I've listened to podcasts where they've done that, and it's like, um, all right. I, I was tempted to make a weird mouth noise just to please you know, don't that out, but I was like, no, that, that's that, that is too far. Yep, sorry. Can no. you're the yeah, one that would have to edit that out? You would be the one to have to edit it. Her relative votes also about twenty two thousand five hundred people. So another very popular game. It a lot of these also tend to be. I mean. Also, it's a 2012 game, so that's not that high for 2012 compared to some of these others. So there is, you'll see a lot of things with like recency bias as well, where there's a lot more votes on a lot of these newer games yeah, and that are still rated very high. So just keep that in mind. So that brings us to another like $75 range game on Amazon. That's number 96 and it's Innis 2016 Claim the Crown Through Merit and Wisdom in This Celtic Island Struggle. All right, so I have to push up my glasses here for just a moment. And actually, as far as I'm aware, it's actually Inish is how it is said. Oh, I was just proud of myself for saying Celtic instead of Celtic. So, like, back off. <laughs> um, actually. Now, well, actually. Which was, also, so yeah. if you haven't watched that show on the dropout, so good. So very good. It is, they say a statement and... If it has something wrong in it and the people that are playing have to be like, I'm actually, this is wrong with that. Their, their, their tagline on that is, uh, there, there, there's one thing geeks love more than everything, anything else, and that's correcting people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so true. Uh, Tim just proved himself I, let me to be a nerd. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Inish is amazing, especially the, re, the reprint of it, which is pretty much all you can find at this point, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. But the artwork in this is phenomenal. And it is, the drafting mechanic in this is also great. It's one of the few where basically you're passing uh, passing cards to each other uh, in, a, in a typical, you know, pass, the, pass these cards over to your neighbor and they get to pick one. Except you pass more and more cards as you go. So this way you can totally shift your drafting strategy in the middle of drafting, which is super cool. And those cards basically dictate what your actions are for that turn. And so everybody's getting different chances to do different actions. And you're basically influencing this area control game that's, that's happening on this board. And all the components are really pretty in this. It has great table presence and it's also very easy to learn. And it has a great tug of war mechanism to people controlling different areas. I really highly recommend this game. It absolutely lives up to the hype. It's, uh, yeah, it's a stellar game. I enjoy it a lot and I wish I got it to the table more. It probably doesn't get to the table more because it only accommodates four players. Yeah. It's another one that's uh, eight out of 10 for me. Uh, you know, a lot of it, Tim says that it completely lives up to the hype. I think I have her hype that is uh, maybe more than what I would necessarily say that it is, you know, rises to. But it is still a very fun game that I'm always happy to play and uh, always enjoy uh, enjoy a good game of fitness. You know, Ken, that's probably a good point. Like, I would say overall, I don't think you'll ever end up disappointed with this game. Yep. Like, there's definitely enough. The, the, the beauty of it is how much substance is there with how little there is mechanically to learn. I think it's one of those easy to learn, hard to master games. Yep. In terms of uh, the rating, it's uh, 7.5. Most of these are going to be 7.5 going onward. The user rating is actually much higher than the geek rating. It's 7.83. 
and about 18,000, 19,000 reviews. So yeah, we should probably point out for the next 10, I might not even give the rating because it's all 7.5, some version of 7.5. But we'll just note if the if the audience scale is uh, that's fair higher. I also haven't played most of the next 10. So these might be quick if Tim hasn't either. (laughs) <laughs> actually hold on how far does this okay the 7.5 goes to 85 so like 15 where we'll get there. yeah the user ratings vary a little bit most of these are for user ratings 7877 so yeah. a little bit more inflated than what the uh critic rating is uh and last just before we move on to the next game the weight of this game is 2.89 i'd say that's maybe even I guess I would say with meta like meta thinking around like the card shifting I'd say that's probably a fair weight Yep. Sweet. All right. So the next one on the list, number 95, this is going to be one of those IP games that kind of makes me cringe, Mm -hmm. but hey, it's got high ratings. Uh, This is Battlestar Galactica, the board game uh, from 2008. The tagline for this one is how can the human race survive when you don't know who is actually human? All right. So Ken, I don't know if you can speak much to this one, but I I can. Yeah, I I haven't played Ah. this at all. Yeah. So my, my dad was actually a huge Battlestar Galactica fan, got me into it as well. And so we actually bought this before it was really like the, all the rage. I just bought it on a whim for him when it was popular. And Tim was kinda, into this before it was before it was, before it was Yeah, y'all are just posers, okay? okay? I was the OG. So he's an um actually nerd and he's pretentious. <laughs> Tim's winning lots of fans today damn straight oh the ones that i haven't already alienated actually i'm winning them back over now because they're the pretentious people who kind of you know stuck around he's like i like this guy he sounds like an asshole all right (laughs) so what's uh this game is basically like a hidden role game where somebody is if you're not familiar with the show there's humans and then there's cylons cylons look just like humans except they're like evil robots basically that's the long and short of it and this does a really good job of this hidden role where basically you're piloting this ship, which is like humanity's last ship. Humanity's planet got blown up and now they all live on a ship. And the al- the aliens are basically like, you know, screw humans. They built us. They're assholes to us and they want to kill the rest of the humans. And so some of you are secretly robots that are on this ship and you're basically trying to subtly pilot it to its destruction. And the problem was they had the IP for this game and then they lost it. And so they could not reprint the game. And it was it did the hidden role so well. And it kind of basically because of the, the IP behind it, people were like skeptical of whether it was a good game or not. And it turned out that it actually was a good game. And so it's very sought after now. If you look for copies of this, you prepare to pay a few hundred dollars. The only thing that probably alleviates that now at this point is they made another game that is exactly like it pretty much, but they did it with a Cthulhu theme called Unfathomable. And so you can more easily obtain that title now, but it is a really good game. I just, unless you are super sold on having it be a Battlestar Galactic theme, which I can understand, like I like the IP a lot, uh, you can get a much cheaper version of this game now. So just be aware of that. But yeah, hidden roll game, super well done. It really, really, I don't think they could pick a better IP that really fits the theme of this game uh, better. So I have nothing but rage, rage to say about it. It maybe runs a little long, though. It's probably the largest complaint about it. And, and just to point out you know, how, how great uh, Board Game Geek ratings are, this one is, you know, like we said, uh, 95 overall, Unfathomable, which is basically the same game with a different theme, 609 overall rating. So 
games can be fall anywhere on board game geeks thing based on whether they have a theme people like art people like mm-hmm. like you mentioned earlier if it's recent it often will get a much higher rating so yeah i think what's doing a decent bit of heavy lifting here is not only the the ip but how long ago it came out because this came out in 2008 so it's quite old it's had some time to really build up the the hype behind it a lot of people haven't even heard of unfathomable yet uh and I'm, hopefully i'm saying the right name um, yep no you are and it, I mean, it's a 2021 game unfathomable so it's been around a long a while at this point but uh right i don't yeah. know if COVID maybe messed up the availability of it or something like that but um yeah so thirty-six thousand ratings on this game overall it is the highest one yet so yep. uh, it is very popular and that takes us to number 94, which is uh, seven, The Seventh Continent from 2017. And its tagline is, Journey through a vibrant but deadly land to uncover the key to lifting your curse. Yeah, that's what I've definitely, definitely thought about buying this one. Um, it's you know largely a, a single-player kind of thing where you uh, explore out an island and, and you know place cards that create a, a map and have different kinds of puzzles and challenges. Uh, as you explore across the uh, the, the island, so it's one what that. Are those, you know, what are those games that like? Th- it's like based on like the theme of where like you had those games that were in two D and you could kind of yep. like explore explore stuff and like you know they're like mystery games that you try to solve. It was meant to elicit like that vibe, yep. right? No, very much so. And it's it made a game that you know the first time you play it, you you know will likely die, uh, you know an hour or so into it and then you know play it a second time and actually have a little bit better idea how to explore and do things it'll have different quests as you explore the island so you know your first few times playing through you're just kind of getting a getting your bearings of what the island looks like and then you have different different goals and quests each time you play it so um you know very much a you know choose your own adventure style game um there we kind go of, that's kind of, kind, of, kind of explore out and and try to you know at each at each location it'll say you know Here's the challenge for this location. You, you know, you you overcome that or get killed potentially or whatever, and then you will have different options leaving that location to go to different locations and just continue spreading that out. So it's, you know, like spread out across the floor your uh, your, your cards and you know you can save your state by by you know picking them up, putting them back in the box in certain ways so that you can restore to where your your safe point was and things like that. But um, wow, that's like vaguely reminiscent of a Metroidvania video game. Yep. Kind of where you're just exploring a world, but maybe you get farther based on what abilities you've earned. Yep. That's kind of cool. I I think the quintessential comparison is things like Monkey Island or like mm-hmm. Mist or like, you know, ga- games of that nature. Um, I'm actually surprised. I thought it was supposed to be more complex. Well, like I always take the complexity rating with a ga- grain of salt, but they rated this at 2.9 out of 5. So I actually heard that it was more complex than that, but I, I guess not. So. Yeah, so yeah, that's the problem with like complexity play- ratings on Board Game Geek is that they are, you know, subjectively placed by the people who rated the games. The people who like complex games tend to rate complex games as less complex than they actually are. So often, the or more some, complex they, the game, the sometimes they want to feel better about themselves yep. and they rate it even higher because yep. they're like, "I'm so smart. I play the hardest games." And it's probably it- a very different like complexity based on if you're just trying to get the mechanics down versus complexity if you're trying to like. Be good, be at, good it. at the game, <laughs> right? Yeah, totally. That's a good point, sir. I know it's a good. point. Also, the play t- the play time <laughs> five to a thousand minutes, right? It's just a small range. Well, and, and again, because the the issue with it is that you can keep playing it and doing the different you know missions and how much you know how how directly you end up finding and completing the uh, the different quests can be can vary massively with this game. So, wait, did you um, say five minutes? 
It says five to a thousand. That's, that's what, yeah. You could quit real quick. No, what you, what you do is you set it up and then you play for five minutes and then you're just like, ah, you know, I'm going to go make dinner now. Yep. Like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. If that seems silly. You anyway. laugh, but I did that with a game of Final Girl the other day because we have a tabletop now that I can play on and just leave stuff out. But then I forgot where I was in the turns. So I had to put it back up again. <laughs> that is the top. That's the toughest part. Uh, yeah, that's why often if you're, you know, doing a game like that or anything like that, you know, it can be good to like just put a little post-it note saying, you know, this is this is where we are. This is who, you know whose turn it is. This is what the next action is for this round. I'm trying to save the game, walk away from it. And it's, uh, it can be a, a very important thing to write down before you walk away and forget it. You think you'll remember, but often you don't. <laughs> and for users, it was a 785 with about 21,000 reviewers. So. Nice. So that is going to take us into number 93, Architects of the West Kingdom from 2018. Will you be a virtuous or nefarious servant of the king? Build your way to glory. This game is excellent. I have only played it a couple times, but this is the one that has that really cool uh, worker mechanic where you put more and more workers out and then you get more and more of that stuff that's there. And then other players can then choose to arrest a certain location at any time and put all your workers in jail and you got to get them all out. And it's, there's, it, it elicits such a great feeling of just getting more and more stuff as you put more people there, but then it builds up the tension of, oh God, now I got to get them all out. Uh, yeah, I have nothing but great things to say about this game. The thing that kind of throws people off with the whole Architects thing is there's actually three different Architects-themed games, and they all came out pretty close to one another, and they have similar themes and mechanics, but they do play a little differently. Um, I'm not sure where the others sit on this list. I'm sure there's somewhere else on here fairly close. But Architects of the West Kingdom was the first one that came out of the series. And yeah, I just have a lot of good things to say about it. It's yeah. actually newer than I thought it was. It came out in 2018. No, uh, no experience with this one. So, okay, so we'll move on to number 92, and I'm just gonna—I don't know how to go with this. El Grande or yeah, El no. Grand? It's El Grande, El Grande for sure. El Grande. Okay, El Grande is from 1995. It's got a man on a horse on it. <laughs> Have fun with the with reading this one. Oh no! <laughs> Please forgive my pronunciation. <laughs> no, keep going. Keep going. So, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh no! You <laughs> can't even do it. <laughs> I just tripped up over the word grande. Yeah, so, yeah, no, keep going, keep going. It's great. Use your I'm... caballeros. Yep, that wasn't that bad. Was, that's it. You nailed that one. Yeah. To control regions of medieval Spain, keeping clear of the king. So with all that build up, I don't know anything about this game. <laughs> it's very old, 1995. I mean, I'm pretty much an expert at it at this point. <laughs> Ken, you got uh, any any insights here? I mean, yeah, looking at the pictures, it looks like a like an old game with uh, old gamey kind of graphics and wood cubes, and yeah, I know nothing about it. We do. We, we do stand a wood right, cube. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, like for an old game, it's not. It's not too bad. You know, I thought I. I expected worse. You know, we're we're proving ourselves very ageist here. Very ageist. I mean, I mean, Kim has I, been I very clear I'll, that we're 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 opposed to both young people and old people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, any 
if we, I want to gatekeep as much as possible, all right? And if you have these old, decrepit, hideous games, fuck you, all right? You're ruining the hobby. No, not as someone whose have... favorite game for the longest time was from the 1980s. Fuck off, know, Tim. I fuck know. off. <laughs> <laughs> I was five years old when this game came out. What up? <laughs> uh, so yeah, El Grande. I don't know anything about it. Let's let's go now. Yeah. All right, yeah. all right. So we're hitting number ninety-one, which brings us to the first. This is the end of the first ten that we've covered. And if anyone is keeping score, I have played none of these. <laughs> <laughs> so number ninety-one, Tainted Grail: The Fall of Avalon. Uh, this is from 2019, and the tagline is "Exploration, Combat, and Diplomacy in a Dark Arthurian Realm." Hmm. I it feel like it looks like some really pretty miniatures. Ken, have you not played this? I feel like this sounds like something you've talked about before. So no, I've talked about uh, uh, Avalon, uh, the Resistance Avalon, to the different game from this. Uh, I've not yeah. played this. This, but it does have really pretty miniatures. It has the word Avalon in it, so I was close. Yep. yep. All right, so it's a uh, they have a big Kickstarter for, or they had a big Kickstarter, or apparently it was a Kickstarter game, one of the two. There's a lot of it looks like there's a lot of content for this game overall, and whew, it's it's a pricey one for sure. It looks like it's one of those that you could definitely spend a lot decking it out. It looks like your fairly traditional RPG ish sort yep. of thing. There is a lot of hype around this game, especially there's a lot of back and forth. Dice Towers mentioned it quite a bit. And yeah, fairly heavy game. Three, three point three four out of five. But looks like uh, looks like they, they uh, board game geek thinks it is. It's a one to four player game, but it thinks it's best with one to two players. So this is another one that uh, probably uh, probably slows down a lot when you add three or four players into it. What's really interesting, and you start seeing some of this a lot. So I, I don't want to hover on this game much more because I don't think any, yeah. any of us know anything about it. But it is an average user rating of eight. And oh yeah. Like, so that's pretty it's pretty high and there's not many voters. So you this is a great time to kind of point out be careful with games like this. I'm not saying it's not a good game. Uh I can't really comment on it one way or the other. I'm trying to be as agnostic about it as possible, but you do have to be careful with games who have kind of a cult following behind it where the the drop in the drop in votes for this game is pretty huge compared to all the other ones that we've talked about so far. Yep. And it is actually a quite a big jump in rating as well. So you will get the people who maybe are the few buyers who have that game and they just love it to death. But maybe the average it does not represent the average user's opinion about a game. Wow. So just be very careful. Yeah, that was a great little pickup there from this little bit of data that we have on these games. That these, you know, we've been looking at games in the usually 20 to 30,000 vote range and the audience or the user score is like, you know, 0.2 higher than the critic score. This is a full mm -hmm. solid 0.5. So it's a 7.5 on the critic score. Yeah, and the I, missed that. I missed that too. The user score is an 8.1. Uh, so mm. it's quite a big jump, but it is at least half of what we've been seeing for a number of voters. So uh, great solid point there, Tim. I, I think another thing that contributes to that is oftentimes with games like this, especially with Kickstarter stuff, and you may remember from our Kickstarter episode talking about just prices, people pr probably spent a lot of money on this game. Yep. And that might influence what they think of the game. True. So. Because, you know, maybe one day I'll think to myself, was all the money we spent on Too Many Bones worth it? Right now, mm. I think yes. <laughs> In the future, maybe. Mm. I don't know. I think it'll still be a yes. It's still a really great game. And, and again, I'm not trying to talk bad about this game. It's just this is a really good example of where you must be careful 
whether you are the actual audience here because board game geek itself is not necessarily representative of everybody what and i think that's also what we're trying to point out with this with this episode yeah is we should also probably point out that like there are several content creators that really dislike board game geek so it is not a universally beloved institution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just the best springboard to probably get started with exploring games and just kind of getting your feet wet feet wet with what's out there and kind of knowing what's hot at the moment, which sometimes is also a bad thing to go down that route of, you know, what are people raging about? Because FOMO, between FOMO and everything else, there's, you know, flavor of the month. That is a huge problem overall with board games. Let me tell you, FOMO can trap you into buying things that you did not necessarily think you probably should buy. Mm -hmm. I don't definitely I'm not speaking from experience because the base game (laughs) of too many bones just became available. (laughs) And we immediately bought it because we're so afraid it's going to sell out. Um, All right. So the next one on the list is uh, number 90. And this is the first one that I've played um, that Tim Tim's got in his collection. So this is the search for planet X from 2020. And the tagline is plan, scan, and theorize to find a new planet at the edge of our solar system. Yeah, I have not played this one. I have I Mark oh, here as no. a want to play and on a wish list, but uh, I have not played this game. So Man, the fact that Tim owns this, this means game. that uh, he's not been a very good friend to me, I guess. <laughs> Just add it to the giant list of games that everyone wants to play. Um, but yeah, the search for planet X is not only a great game it's also super affordable which is awesome and it's super unique because it sits in this space where it's a logic puzzle game and some people will this is definitely a huge like you either love or hate this kind of game because it's basically a giant process of elimination game where everybody else starts with a piece of information that nobody else has and you're trying to figure out in this uh disc of a galaxy you have different quadrants or it's basically cut into pie slices and each pie slice contains a planetary body or uh, element of space that through uh, hints that you, that you get through scanning the sector and it gives you vague information about like, Oh, there is a, you know, a meteor within, you know, three of those slices or something like that. Um, You just get, you basically are trying to learn from the app like what information that you get. And based on what questions people ask, you can kind of figure out what information they know, but only they get the information of like, if I ask a hint, like basically you ask out loud, what, what kind of information you want, uh, you want to learn about. And that's all you learn about is Mm -hmm. what they ask. And then the app tells them the actual information around the clue that they're asking about. And so you can kind of piece together based on what other people are asking, what's actually going on. And then there's also a race mechanic as well, where you're trying to figure it out faster than other people because you get more points if you figure out different bodies faster than other people. So they do a really good job of, you know, even if you're not doing perfect about certain parts, if you're figuring out other smaller pieces faster, those points might actually add up more than someone who finally found Planet X, which is the main goal of the game. Basically, the game ends when someone figures out where Planet X is. This and feels like a game that would probably be really attractive to people who, you know, like old school, uh, you know, game of Clue and things like that, where mm-hmm, everyone has mm-hmm. different pieces of information and you're having to put together good questions and interpolate well from the questions that people are asking what, what they know and what they're trying to find out. Uh, Absolutely. I've never, I've never played this game, but, uh, you know, it, 
as you're describing it, it feels very much like what uh, what it would like to play Clue back in the day. Like mm-hmm. if you like a more if you've played Cryptid, it's similar to the that style, but it's different enough that it's not like oh, this is just space Cryptid. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Sarah. I was actually about to say something very similar. Mm-hmm. Is it it had it's like a more complex version of Cryptid, and what's cool is. Like, but there's not enough overlap that I like owning two different games because I can teach Cryptid in like two minutes and then we can all be off and running. And it's simple enough that I can get almost anybody to play that. Whereas I would say Planet X is if you know you like that kind of game, you will really like it. And it's an easy springboard into it. And on top of that, there is also two different complexity layers as well. There's a 12... 12 section pie slice version and then there's an 18 section pie slice which really ups the complexity quite a bit and, so... then, and then we can create a 30 slice version mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and this is another one where so the critic score is 7.5 but the audience score is 7.99 so basically basically an eight yeah, yeah but it is also one that has 10,000 votes so it, it's mm-hmm. very similar to the last one we talked about the tainted grail fall of avalon Mm-hmm. But we're part of that cult, so we're fine with it. <laughs> no, but it, yeah, it, it is really uh, interesting how how these these two dip so far below the the number of reviews for the, the you know the first ten we we're looking at. Uh, you know, nineteen ninety one, many fewer reviewers. Like you know, again, like half as many reviewers. So I think this one was hard to get originally because I had a hard time getting it. I luckily I saw it from a review from uh, Sh- Shut Up and Sit Down. That's probably how I why I put it. it on my want to play list because I, I I probably saw the review and, and wanted to get it from that. Yeah. Ooh, here is this is also a really fun time to kind of point out the weight score because they put the weight at two point three seven out of five, and I would say teaching it, yes, I would say the rules are not that hard. But if you want to be good at this game, I would say you like it's a very hard logic puzzle when you start getting to you know. I would not put this as a 2.3 in terms of actually being good at the game. Like if you have, if you play with somebody who has played this game and then with a bunch of people who haven't, they will get crushed. Like you will learn it. You will figure it out so much faster than everybody else because there, there is a, like a bias there. I, I, not I something you can. The complexity scores are supposed to be like how hard it is to understand the game, how, how to be able okay. to understand the puzzle, understand the. Oh, it actually the, does say that. Yeah. So you uh, like, they have a little question mark here. And if you hover over it, it does say, community community rating for how difficult a game is to understand so i i so in that case it is fair but i do want to add the caveat that you cannot really mix and match this super well the only way that you can this is actually a really cool thing i forgot they had in the game that does help you actually can give starting player uh each player a certain amount of starting hints so you could actually give it to where if you're a, a an expert in the game you start with no hints and then other players start with uh, more hints than you, which does even the playing field a bit. So I, I do have to kind of ret- retcon what I just then, said a little bit. Then we could do a game where we, we start out with no hints and nobody has any information. That is the game that Ken mm, prefers, right. where everyone struggles and we feel like we're failing the whole time. <laughs> and, then, okay. and then ideally at the end, we actually lose. At, no. <laughs> and then we learn things about ourselves as people. Yeah. Um, okay, so I know this is... Y'all might hate me for this. We're gonna we're gonna cut it at eleven because there's no way we're gonna make it all the way to fifteen before kind of our time is up. Um, 
Yeah, looking. Uh, I think we can maybe stop at not at where it, are we at ninety? We're at ninety. Yeah. 90 so I feel like good. it'd be easy to remember eighty nine is where we start. But I will. I will I like tease that. for the next time we do this because I don't know if it's going to be our next episode. But the next time we do this, we're jumping from a game that has ten thousand votes on score <laughs> to a game that has one hundred and one thousand votes. So that's right, ten times as many. Yes. So we're going from a relatively obscure comparatively game to a very popular very common game yep Mm. so that'll be something to look forward to in the future uh and and don't spoil yourself by going and looking at board game geek and looking at the list because that would completely ruin your enjoyment of our podcast well look you know the only the only danger we actually have is depending on the spacing we do on this the list may change a little bit i was gonna say we're already looking at two different lists because y'all's list was different than mine (laughs) There's no reason for that. We should all have the same one. I don't know why that's I the case. Don't, it's crazy. I don't know how we got there. Um, Actually, it, nor- it normalized after that. I'm not sure why it was different, but now what, we're What game was on ones. mine that wasn't on y'all's then? If it, no, it was just... It was, no, it was in a different order. Gotcha. Okay. Well, interesting. And my, my guess is because they both have exactly the same uh, geek score, so it probably... It, oh, it, yeah, it, it, they probably are interchangeable in the algorithm, and so maybe every time you hit refresh, it could potentially switch. Would be my let me hit All refresh right. to find out. This nope, is why we can't trust Board Game Geek. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, Tim, being very picky. Um, okay, so let's uh, wrap up this episode. I mean, we're going into we're recording this before Thanksgiving. This will probably come out after Thanksgiving, so you know what time of year we are. Christmas. I don't know. I think we're trying to. I, I think we're trying to push it so this way they have some content to listen to for their Thanksgiving. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yep. right. So so the so the family can listen to all the f bombs and be like, why do you listen to this trash? So okay, so we've talked. A, I've talked a lot about no. Okay, everyone in my family <laughs> loves this podcast. So oh um, no, I mean at least my aunt and uncle and cousin do. I use it for emphasis. Uh, so <laughs> anyways. <laughs> Instead of talking about Christmas, then let's talk about Thanksgiving. I know, you know, I'm going home. I live eight hours away from where we are. Um, I'm going home to visit family. And I specifically wasn't going to take anything home. But now there are, I've, I've packed my bag and I've got three board games in my suitcase. <laughs> uh, one of them taking up a giant portion of my suitcase and that being the, the, the Dark Tower. I'm also taking Railroad Ink and Skull. Are you guys traveling anywhere going to take some board games around to to play with people you don't normally play with i'm going to my parents and uh we all know that my dad has a bigger collection than i do Ooh. Um, so all, all i'm doing is bringing the the few games that he doesn't own mm-hmm. uh yeah and we're gonna I, i'm trying to remember what games i was gonna bring feels bad man but has he told you any games that y'all specifically are gonna have to play while you're there Ooh, I am going to bring, I do know I'm going to bring Life of the Amazonia. Oh, that's such a great game. Just because it's so adorable and my mom might die when she sees all the little pieces. And also uh, Eclipse Second Dawn of the Galaxy, also bringing that because my dad hasn't played it. So, Yeah, I'm not sure for for this year. No, last year, the game I took uh, took home with me and really the only game I played with my parents uh, the entirety of Christmas was uh, The Crew and Again, that was really great because they both enjoy card games and trick-taking games. And so that, you know, if I gave them a game that, you know, I got my, my parents, my brother together, and we, we sat there, we chewed through half the quests in the book. So uh, maybe, maybe we'll do some more of those this year. Um, 
you know, I might have to give some thought to what kind of games would be good to play with uh, uh, some of my uh, some of my younger uh, uh, nephews and niece. Uh, um, you know, they they do have a lot of board games, but I you know, do tend to find some of the board games that uh, they play to be uh, a little bit lacking in the kind of uh, hard hitting decisions that that I'd like to have in a game. So try to think of games that will be uh, you know fun for me with with good decision making and also something that. Uh, you know, a, a small child can play will be, uh, be something I'll get some thought to over the next uh, next couple of weeks here. Ken, you should probably listen to our good our you know good starter game podcast episode. You know, you might get some uh, might yeah. get some ideas. Yeah. There. Nothing like the self referencing <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I've got a lot of Candyland in my future. Um, oh, I forgot. Mm, right. So my niece recently had her fourth birthday, and I got her a bluey version of Trouble. Ooh. <laughs> and mm. she's apparently been playing that a lot. So I'll be playing probably some Candyland, some Bluey Trouble. Uh, and I think I got her a Disney princess version of a different game, but I can't remember what game it was. So I've got that to look forward to too. That's adorbs. That's adorbs. Yeah. It's very hard to find a lot of the games for board games for kids are like five and under. And I'm like asking my, cause of course I think my four-year-old niece could do a five-year-old game, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I don't want her to have a bad time because I gave her a too complex game, but like Mysterium has a kid's version. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was a kid's version of spirit Island, but it turns out, I think it's just like a smaller version. It's a, yeah, it's, they basically have very low complexity spirits and they're designed a little bit better than the original uh, spirits. Cause the, the base game came with low complexity spirits, but I would say these ones are a little bit more refined. And also I think they simplified, they, they made the game cheaper by the way that they like printed things out. It's I a don't teeny think tiny have, little like, box. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is definitely, if you're not sure you would like spirit Island, just buy that copy. You can find it at target. They made like a special deal to where you could only find it at target for a small period of time. Oh yeah. They have it and, at, they have it at a uh, game theory, which is where I saw it. Yeah, maybe they've, I think it was a small window of like six months or something like that where it could only be at Target. Yeah. And uh, now it's probably expanded beyond that. And so full collectors have probably bought it at this point. But I actually haven't bought that yet, mostly because I'm still not sure if I really care about the spirits overall because they are low complexity. And a lot of us feel like that those are not as fun as the other ones. But for those who are not sure they like the game, definitely buy that copy instead, especially since the, 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 price of the base spirit island has actually gone up fairly significantly hmm. now that it's popular yeah uh, which is fine like i'm glad it's getting the love but i'm also glad that they saw that that problem and they made a more entry-friendly spirit island game I, i'll throw in here the audacity of these people and by these people i mean ken and tim when we taught my husband how to play spirit island this weekend you know, he didn't get to choose a very low or low complexity spirit. He went No, in, we showed him we showed him it and he wasn't interested. He, he went in with a moderate level. And I was like, Are you sure? Because I'm I've played this like seven times. <laughs> I steer I steered him away from he wanted to play Ocean's Hungry Grasp, which I was oh. like, That's a bad that's a bad idea. <laughs> but then it would have worked so, out pretty well with our our goal because our goal was very well, coastline dependent. Um mm-hmm. it's just the, you just think about the decision space of having to think about every board. Yeah, well, it was it's very challenging. Also, very funny because yes, he chose a moderate complexity spirit, and then like the first two rounds, he was waving me over to ask like, 
what would be good things for me to do to help uh, do the, help the, the team do well? And I'm like, it would take me 10 or 15 minutes to review your spirit and understand it well enough to be able to give you any idea what you should do. These are the things you're allowed to do. You're like, well, what should I do? Like, no idea. Try once, see how it works, because it would take me too long to figure out how your spirit works well enough to say which of these is a good idea. Yeah. Just pick Again, one. Again, <laughs> uh, anybody worried about quarterbacking? Buy this game. Yep. Yeah, you really can't. But by the by, like a, a couple rounds in, I think he had gotten the flow of it, and he and I had a Absolutely. pretty good synergy between our spirits, mm-hmm. which, mm-hmm. again, was very fun for me. So... <laughs> I enjoyed it. But okay, so I thought it was y'all being audacious, but it was really Morgan being overconfident maybe in his skill of picking up games. But I mean, he's he, really he, quick. He, he, no, he, he got he got he got a handle on it and he, he played that spirit well. So like the first couple of rounds he had no idea what any of his powers did or how it worked. But after the first couple of rounds, he was he was doing good things. Long story short, we've honest- we've dragged him kicking and screaming into the board game hobby and now he has probably surpassed me. <laughs> He I mean, I feel like he may have surpassed as, me as, as a board game fan at this point. Like, I, I don't have a 3D printer to print holders. From I my... don't have a 3D printer, and I have a huge collection. I can say, like, yeah, this is one of those examples where, like, once you dive into a hobby headfirst, you're, you're throwing all caution to the wind. Financial mm-hmm. implications be damned. Financial. <laughs> we're yeah. just going for it. Um, okay, so before we drag this out too long, I know we're running a little over um, – I know I usually tease what our next topic is going to be for the next oh, episode. Cool. Let's know uh, what our next episode is going to be, Sarah. So I just wanted to say here, I don't know, because we before we started this episode, we were thinking about doing a grab bag episode where we just talk about little topics that we didn't think could take a whole hour. And we came up with so many <laughs> full episode topics that I, I honestly don't know which one's going to be next. It could be the next 10 of the Board Game Geek list. It could be 8,000 other things. So it'll yeah. be a surprise, which you can look forward to. Yeah, we have a lot of great topics. It's one of those things where like, when we feel like we're running out of topics and then we sit down and actually write topics, we're like, oh my God, we actually have a lot of stuff that we could talk about. So if you're worried, we're going to completely run out of things to talk about after 10 episodes. We're coming up on 10, and I don't think we're right out of things to talk about. So No, not even close. Which, I, to, to be fair, I listened to a podcast about podcasting recently, <laughs> which nice. is a thing. But on that podcast, they said that like 40% of podcasts have three or fewer episodes. So we're basically really? in the top 50% of podcasts. <laughs> Not bad, not bad. I, don't fact check me on that. This is a vaguely remembered statistic from a podcast I listened to briefly while I was getting ready for work three days ago. Fortunately, on this podcast, we never make up our facts and never make up our our uh, our, our statistics. We don't have a fact yeah, checker yeah. that's going to come in and be like, actually. I think like 100% of the time, that's true 80% of the time. Absolutely. So. All right. We, 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 we in no way claimed initially here to be the only board game podcast that existed without having even bothered to check if there were other board game podcasts that exist. And there are tons. Uh, I just learned that I'm bad at searching. Is what I, <laughs> what I was like, in my defense, like Spotify is not that easy to navigate. So they well, just keep adding shit. We're thankful that everyone who's listening right now could navigate Spotify to find us. So, well, yeah, good job guys. If you're listening, you're on, better than me. If you're listening on Spotify, you might be listening on something else. Anyways, we're going we're gonna to cut it off here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Stay busy, gaming.
I don't know why I said that. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. You better game. <laughs>